Welcome to Manga Mavericks at Movies, the show where we talk smack about movies. Why are we going with our old retired catchphrase? Because today we are actually talking smack about a movie. At least one of the two films in this week's review. Because on this episode, we are covering two A1 Pictures franchise films that were distributed in North American theaters by Funimation Films in 2017. First up is Black Butler, Book of the Atlantic. And second is Fairy Tale Dragon Cry. If you know the tastes of the manga mavericks, you'll know which of these films we liked and which we... <laughs> to say we did not like it is putting it charitably. If you thought that V-Lord got heated and passionate in his rant and railing against Coco in the last episode, you have not been prepared for the sheer hate directed towards the fairy tale Dragon Cry that will be on this episode. You are in for quite a treat, quite a rant, and I will let you listen to it. First up, though, we have some nice thoughts to say about Black Butler, Book of the Atlantic. So, why don't we listen to that first? On with the show! Welcome to Manga Mavericks Add Movies, the show where we talk smack and celebrate movies. We're going by that catchphrase still after how many episodes? 11? Did we I always have... have the celebrate movies part, though? No, we didn't always have the celebrate movies. That's right, we did change it slightly. Because Gasp. we do we do criticize a lot of movies, but we also, you know, we like a lot of the stuff we see. We, we talk, say good things about them. I think we have to go see more bad movies then. Do we really need to? Yes. Well, what was the last bad movie we saw? Um, Ghost in the Shell? Oh, dang, that's right, that was a long time ago, you're right. Was it? That was like March. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know when this podcast is being released, but, uh, oh boy. Well, anyway. The Ghost in the Shell one saw has been released, so it's At the time of this recording, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yes, we didn't see another bad movie today. We saw a really good movie, a movie that I enjoyed way more than I thought I would. We saw Black Butler, Book of the Atlantic. The or as I like to call it, Black Butler, Attack of the CGI Zombies. The zombies weren't CGI. They were in some scenes. In some scenes. In some <laughs> scenes, there were characters that were CGI, but, like, a lot of the time, they were just traditionally drawn. I don't know. It might have just been me, but a lot of the time, when I was looking at the backgrounds, the zombies were CGI. Well, in the backgrounds, yeah. maybe. But regardless of some of the movie's uh, productional faults at parts, overall, it was a really enjoyable movie. This movie is the first animated theatrical feature based on Black Butler after it had previously had a live action feature which from what I know about it wasn't very good well not that 
so much is that it's like completely different from the series because it's about like a new protagonist who Will forms I? a contract with Sebastian, some girl. I don't know. I, I it seemed strange that's, to me. I haven't dumb. seen it yet. Uh, who knows? I'll watch it maybe one day. But yeah, this is a uh, first theatrical installment of Back Butler. It continues off uh, from where the. Book of Murder OVAs left off in adapting the manga. So it adapts like volumes 11 to 14, I think, of the huh. manga, the Atlantic arc. It's quite a bit of material. Yeah, it didn't feel like that much. But, you know, uh, just to recount my history with Black Butler a bit, I got introduced to it, like, what, in 2010, in high school, and during the our uh, the school anime club, if you remember <laughs> oh that, Warren. Uh, let's not talk about that club. Yeah, let's say the taste of that club was very pedestrian. Very, uh, they're pretty. They were very normy. Yeah, and a lot of them were for Joshi. They also thought Cowboy Bebop was too violent for school. But then they showed Sao. You know, Sao, the show that has molestation and rape. And they had no problem showing Black Butler, which was also pretty violent. And that's how yeah. I first discovered the show. They showed the first couple episodes of Black Butler. And, like, I wasn't necessarily that into it, but I guess something about it intrigued me. I guess just, like, the concept of Sebastian and Ciel's relationship was intriguing enough. Sebastian being, like, a demon from hell, forms a contract with Ciel... Like, that he'll eat Ciel's soul after Ciel has achieved his revenge, and Sebastian helps him do that. Mm. So, you know, Sebastian basically is bound to Ciel until he, Ciel achieves his goal and gets his revenge, and only then can he eat him, and until then he's basically starving, like, wanting to devour his soul, but can't devour any other souls until he fulfills his contract with Ciel. So it's like really interesting. There's a lot of tension in their relationship at the start. It seemed, and it was Which like the fangirls view a sexual tension for some reason. Yeah, I never got that, <laughs> especially since CL is a pretty uh, straightforward, straight heterosexual relationship. Yeah, uh, as a girl, he's engaged. He is engaged, uh, and he and the love is mutual. So, yeah, but. So I started, I didn't watch more of the anime. I actually have not seen any Black Butler anime besides those first four episodes of the first season. But I read the manga, and uh, but actually, the book of the Atlantic, this arc, was like the arc that I caught up on. Like, it was like the arc that was running as I caught, after I caught up to the series. So I got to read it, the series from that point, and this arc as it was going. And it was pretty interesting because, uh, as you saw, this arc was a huge turning point in the story in so many ways with some ma major dramatic changes. And I think this arc, at, uh, following after Book of Circus and Brick and Mortar, both were excellent in their own ways, like really sold me on Black Butler. And while outwardly I would always say, oh, Black Butler, uh, I just like it as a guilty pleasure, you know, honestly, Black Butler is actually really, really good. There's some really strong character development, characterization, and some cool actions, some cool characters, funny moments. Like, Black Butler is a good time. Uh, just, there are no strings attached, no caveats, just straightforward good. And uh, anyone who tells you otherwise is 
being unfair. Or they've just seen the anime, maybe. Or they've just seen the anime. I think the yeah. anime, from what I've heard, uh, goes in a direction that is... It's a little more pandering, and it isn't as good in terms of It tries to overemphasize the yaoi fanbait. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely the anime is a little more pandering to the uh, the audience of the series, which is actually shonen. But yeah. even so, it has a large female fan base, which uh, maybe to explain our uh, teeter audience here, our teeter-going oh. experience, uh, yeah, safe to say <laughs> there were a lot of women. It was pretty much 90% I women. I saw a whopping two guys, and one of them was on a date. Yeah, so. one of them was clearly there <laughs> with his girlfriend who dragged him to it. Yeah. And then there was just one guy who went by himself who, I guess, was also in the Black Butler. But, like, yeah. yeah, those were the only other two guys there. Like, the, like, the, like, behind us, there was a sitting, like, a middle school girl and her mother, and her mother was asking, like, Hey, honey, why, why is all these people, why is, like, this entire theater filled with girls? And she's like, because Sebastian is hot. <laughs> and she's also, like, but she's like a, t- he's a 2D character. So like, yeah, you could just see the expression on her face. It's so funny. <laughs> oh boy. Just but, reacting to all these anime fangirls. Yeah, but there was also like, I think two friends who were behind us that like one of them had no experience with anime really and like was just dra- was kind of just brought there to be like with her friend and whatever. So, yeah, I thought, wasn't there, like, two girls behind us? One of them, I I heard these girls talking a lot. Like, one of them, like, had no experience with anime or whatever. That was the mother and daughter. Are you sure it was a mother and daughter? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. (laughs) Well, whatever. Either way, by the end of the movie, like, the person who had no knowledge of Black Butler at all, like, she was super intrigued. She was saying, wow, I never knew I wanted that in my life, but it was really dang good. I love, uh, I loved everything about it. I love The Undertaker. Like, lots of praise from that person who had never seen Black Butler before and had very little exposure to anime, which speaks to the testament of how widely appealing this film is, as you could relate to since you, Wee Lord, had no prior exposure to Black Butler before this film. You oh, no, no, okay, blind. okay, okay. For context, I have had exposure to Black Butler, but like I said, it was mainly like just the anime and the anime club. So I've seen like probably two or three episodes of the Black Butler anime, and then I actually did read the Cricket, like the Swansword <laughs> arc with Cricket in the manga out of pure curiosity because I like Cricket. Yeah. Why can't we have more Cricket manga? I don't know, but I'm looking forward to seeing that animated, which will probably happen one day. A1 Pictures, please. Please. You're you're finally doing good by the Black Butler series now, if this film is any indication. I've heard a good thing about the how Book of Murder and Book of of Circus were handled. I hear they're pretty faithful manga adaptions, kind of like Kyoto Saga for Blue Exorcist. Honestly, I've been so, I'm so jazzed up. Uh, got, I'm like so back into Black Butler now that I probably will finally watch those because I feel like revisiting. But yeah, so, you know, going into this, I haven't read the book of the Atlantic arc, uh, since I first read it, like when it was first running, like what, in 2010, 2011? So it's been Dang, like six years. And with Black Butler itself, I haven't like read, been reading the series for the last year, year and a half. Gen Price is simulpubbing it, right? They are simulpubbing yeah. it. And as I've moved away from reading scanlations, I just have no interest in that anymore. 
you know, I only read official manga now, so I could be reading Black Butler, but it's also two bucks a chapter, oh, and it is a monthly geez. series, you know, so that's, yeah. you know, but still, I feel I might as well just read it through graphic novels, so I'm yeah. just waiting for those. I mean, Black Butler's goes on a pretty consistent schedule, so reading the volumes for that makes sense. Yeah, so I will definitely continue Black Butler reading it through volumes, even if I'm not reading uh, current chapters right now. But, you know, I am a fan. I would say, you know, unquestionably I am a fan. And this movie reminded me why I like Black Butler so much, because there's, like, so much great characterization and character development. There's, like, fun humor. Like, the the premise of this arc is genius, you know? it It's Titanic with zombies. <laughs> You're combining Titanic... With a zombie thriller. It, it's, it's a genius premise. Like, you're on, like, the open ocean. You're, like, completely alone. And there's these monsters on board. Like, and they're all gonna come after you. Like, it's incredibly claustrophobic. There's, like, incredible stakes. Like, it's, it's, it's insane. It's, like, a genius premise that I can't believe. I'm sure it's been done before, but I have never seen it before. It's awesome. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And, man, there's some, you know, we'll talk a little bit. How would we talk about, like, the production level of this movie? Because, you know, this is a theatrical movie, but honestly, it doesn't look that much better than a TV series. (laughs) It looks like how I remember the TV show looking. About the same. And, yeah, there's some really cheap animation at times, and, like... Some stuff that just absolutely not theatrical quality at all, even by anime standards. I see the action scenes though. The action scenes look nice. Yeah, the action scenes look really nice. That's the highlight of the film. Yeah. Like when they're all fighting zombies, or when like the characters are just fighting each other. Those scenes are all are just a real treat and really exciting. Like just really high quality stuff. Yeah, like they kind of it kind of remind me of kind of the Yufa table style of animation where. Yufa Table, they kind of focus a lot on the characters themselves and their movements, and then have the entire background be CG. But from how it's animated, you don't necessarily notice that CG in the yeah. background. I'm so. not surprised that the action was so good, because this is directed by Moriyuki Abe. Oh, Of okay. Yu Yu show fame. Okay, that explains and like, it. <laughs> even though some of the shows he worked on, like Bleach, aren't like necessarily great shows because of the they have writing. good action. Yeah, though. the action direction yeah. is really good. Like if you actually look at the action direction in those shows, he's a good action director. Like, and this has some great action scenes huh. that are definitely signature Abe. There's even some experimental stuff that I know he likes to let his staff run with. Yeah. So I thought that was a treat too. Like the puppet theater imagery, the cinematic reel showing memories, all really great stuff. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. And so why don't we talk about just like the main big parts of this movie, what it like introduces into the series. Because mm-hmm. it introduces a new Reaper in the name of uh, Ronald Knox. Is he like a recurring character? He starts becoming a recurring character after this point. So, okay. It brings back Grell finally. Uh, Grell was the girl, right? 
Grell wasn't. Oh, Grell was the. Grell is the Reaper who's super gay for. Some oh, time. that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, Grell is like pretty iconic as an antagonist because he has more of a role in the anime before. Yeah, this. I remember seeing him a lot. Seeing him like quite a bit in the anime. Yeah, he has more of a role in the anime, the first two seasons of the anime. But in the manga, like he was like the main antagonist of like the Madam Red Arc, which like kind of to explain like Black Butler in terms of the Black Butler arcs in terms of like how significant they are and as like benchmarks for like the series is improvement over time because Black Butler starts out very episodic and low stakes and it's not like that interesting but the Madam Red Arc is kind of like the Arlong part because that's where like the stakes are super personal and like the story is really engaging and it's just a like, that's the moment where you decide, like, okay, I want to continue with this, or you decide it's not for you. So, Correct. Yeah. And so, yeah, that introduces Grell, that, uh, Madam Red, by the way, Lord, in case you don't, uh, know who that is. You know, when that character in the film, like, ha- which had, who had red hair in the flashbacks, the woman with red hair, uh-huh. during the flashback scenes? Yeah. Uh, so that's CL's aunt. Oh, okay. And so, during, so she, uh, for various, like, reasons, became a serial killer, uh, working alongside Grell. Uh, but, at, you know, she couldn't bring herself to kill Ciel, and so Grell killed her. And so it was very tragic, because Ciel, like, lost the last remaining family member he had. And so that's, like, why that arc is so memorable. Huh. Aside of the fact that Grell himself was introduced, he was simultaneously hilarious, but also, like, a good, you know, villain. So, yeah. Okay. So, they finally bring back Grell, who has amazing scenes, like when he recreates the famous, like, I'm the king of the world scene on the yeah. Titanic. And, uh, just, you know, his c- consistent banter with uh, Sebastian, trying to flirt with him while simultaneously trying to kill him. Uh, just, Grell's amazing. Grell, Grell is hilarious. Great. It was great that he was in this movie. Uh, in this arc. And so... Okay, so that was significant, that him coming back. And, uh, of course, one of the biggest things is Elizabeth, like, finally revealing, like, she's actually kind of a badass, which is amazing, because, like, I think you could appreciate this, because, like, at the beginning of the movie, and throughout, like, the first half of this movie, like, she's presented as this, you know, stereotypical, like, upper-high-class girl who's, like, you know, very prim and proper, yeah, and, like, doesn't seem like she can defend herself and has to rely on others, and she seems very childish. Like, she refuses to take off her coat and clothes, like, to crawl through, like, the gutter thing. And, like, you know, because she always wants to look cute for Ciel, and Ciel's like, she, he, he rips her clothes and he's <laughs> he like... He goes full savage. Yeah, he's like, no, dude, you, you gotta, you can worry about looking good later, you gotta live right now, man. And she's like, Okay, I was acting silly. I'm sorry. And Ciel's like, I'm sorry for acting so boorishly. And yeah, so, you know, uh, Ciel and Lizzie have some really cute romantic moments in this movie. I, I really appreciated those. But like, yeah, so, uh, there's all this build up. Like, Lizzie is presented as kind of weak, kind of immature. And so you, you don't, like, expect anything of her. And like, and so you get into this moment. The Ciel's zo- leg is broken. He he can't do anything. And like zombies are all encroaching on Lizzie and Ciel, and they're like gonna totally kill them. And Lizzie like 
you know, resigns herself. She, like, smiles at Ciel, starts tearing up, and she says, I'm sorry, Ciel. I want to stay cute for you until the end. <laughs> and so the zombies close in on her, and you think, oh, crap, Lizzie's going to die. This is going to be, like, a big, like, another loss for Ciel. But no, like, she, like, fucking stabs a bunch of zombies right through the head. Yeah. Grabs swordsman off the wall and starts, like, wrecking their shit. Like, she, like, fucking fucks them up. It's, like, amazing. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. It's such a great acting scene. It's so awesome. Oh, it's such a great, like, twist that she can actually, like, fight. And, like, she has this really, like... I mean, the reason why she hides that she can fight and she's actually bad is it's kind of silly, but it makes sense for her character because, you know, she is just so obsessed with Ciel and Ciel liking her that she didn't want to scare him away. So I can kind of get it, and it's also not, like, I don't think it's sexist at all because, like, you know, she has a lot of agency on her own. She makes her own choices, so it's, like... And even when, like, Sebastian, like, knocks her out, so, like, she doesn't follow them to, you know, fight whoever at the end and leaves her in the care of her brother. Like, you know, that makes sense on their perspective because they don't want to let her, you know, get hurt even though she can't fight. So, and it's not, and after this arc, you know, she still, she does do stuff. So, you know, she, she hasn't been relegated to silence. This isn't like her own good moment. So, but it's just such a good moment. It's such a good backstory and like it really adds so much layers to this character who, before this, you maybe just taught us this one note, like, romantic love interest. But no, she has just so much more to her. And it's awesome. And I loved it. It's so good. It's just so good. What if you? What was your reaction to this scene? I was like, oh, oh shit. Yeah, oh, she can fight. Huh. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it was, it was cool. Like, since I wasn't familiar with all the characters, I, like, it probably didn't get, have as much impact for me compared to, like, maybe other People who are watching the film who hadn't read the manga, it was still cool. It's yeah, like, huh, this she's not just a damsel in dis- distress. She can actually like hold her own in a fight. And that was, and this was not the only huge twist regarding a character because the other like completely game changing twist that happens in this movie is the reveal of the Undertaker's true identity as a former Reaper, and he becomes like the main antagonist of the series after this point. It's like the Eisen-level twist reveal. It's, like, mind-blowing. Because The Undertaker before this was, like, a comedic supporting character. Like, he didn't seem like someone that important. He was just, like, someone to, like, give Ciel advice or trinkets or whatever. Like, he didn't seem... He didn't call attention to himself as someone who was a schemer or, or, like, orchestrating, like, some mass conspiracies in the background but like this movie like man like the reveal of him as like the one who is responsible for creating these zombies why he did it how he did it and like the insane level of strength that he has like it's just mind-blowing and it's like man like his even his sight is just so cool the reveal of his sight like you're like it's an amazing moment because like you know, the Reaper sites, nothing's supposed to be able to cut them, but in, cut them or, 
be not be able to be cut by them on, on aside from the Reaper site. And so when you realize, oh crap, and you see, and he reveals that he has a Reaper site, it's like insanely big, and it's, it's like, like made out, made of, like, out of, a, of a skeleton. Yeah, it's like a fucking skeleton's like the staff part. Yeah, and it's like, oh my god, it's like, and this, and he's like the first villain, the Undertaker. He's like the first villain. In the series to like mortal, like really seriously hurt Sebastian. Like he's the first villain in the series to defeat Sebastian, really. And it's like that's a huge shocking moment in of itself. Sebastian getting like in, like impaled by his sight. It's like holy crap. Like yeah. Undertaker is the real deal, man. It's like oh. So good, such a good villain. Like, and like John Swayze's performance. We watched it dub, by the way. Yeah, uh, good I, dub. Yeah, good, good dub overall. Though, uh, you know, I feel like at some point some of the accents were. I, I don't think Funimation. I think Funimation doesn't do accents that well, honestly. Yeah, I mean, and uh, Sharmi Lay as Elizabeth. Like sometimes when she's like squealing and like yelling, sometimes it's can be a little grating. But, like, when she's being, like, super serious with and dramatic with the character, it's, like, super good. So, yeah. uh, humor can be hit and miss sometimes. Accents can be hit and miss sometimes. But, like, at the core drama parts and, like, as voices for the characters, really good stuff. Really good stuff. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Like, that is best displayed with The Undertaker because there is a huge change in, like, how he talks and, like, the tone of his voice. When he goes from his like comedic, like comedic role into his big dramatic, big boss villain role, it's like yeah. wow, holy crap! That really sells like the entire like shift that this character is like going to be our big bad now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like the movie doesn't end with them defeating him because he, to this day, is still in the shadows, and like he's probably going to be the end boss. The sequel bait. Yeah. Kinda, although probably gonna take several seasons until we get a resolution to The Undertaker, but yeah, yeah in this movie, he's really great. And I think, like, finally, one of the biggest things in the movie is just this overall, like, revelation, the flashback of, like, Sebastian and Ciel's, like, early days, and, like, how they got to know each other and come to respect each other. But so they, they had never shown that, like, stuff before? Not in the anime. I mean, this was in the manga, yeah. of course, but... Yeah, so we see the, so you see the origin of like, Sebastian and CL's relationship. We see like, you know, Sebastian grow like, to respect CL a little bit, and like, kind of be more empathetic towards him, even though, you know, overall his goal is to lead his soul. Yeah. You know, that doesn't change, but he does gain respect for him. And CL like, teaches Sebastian like, to not overly rely on his magic and do things for himself, like challenging him by attack, by attacking his pride and saying, you know, if you're my butler, you can do all this without having to use dark powers and you can do this right. <laughs> and like Sebastian takes up the challenge and like you see in this great montage, like how they start improving each other, which is really cool. Yeah. It's like a really good uh, foundation for like CL and Sebastian's relationship and like how important and dependent they've become on each other, like, both of them, like, both of them, like, really value each other now. And it's not, like, a romantic thing, but it's, like, this really cool, like, friendship. 
But the fan base says it's a romantic thing, so it must be true. Uh, no. I mean, I don't know why you would want C.L. Sebastian, ship C.L. and Sebastian when you can have C.L. and Lizzie after this movie, because, like, this movie is so good for if you're a C.L. and Lizzie guy, you know? But, uh, I don't really care either. I mean, I, I think they're cute, honestly. I think C.L. and Lizzie are cute. Like, I, I would, I would go for that. You always gotta date the guy who wants to kill you. <laughs> yeah, the guy who wants to literally eat your soul. Yeah. Uh, no. But, yeah, so there's so many good things in this movie. Uh, and, like, just the experience watching it, revisiting this material after so long, and, like, and revisiting Black Butler after so long, it's like, it, it was really, really good experience to do. I mean, it, like, rekindled. Like, some nostalgia, some memories, and it's like, man, I want to get back into Black Butler somehow. I feel, I, like, they, one of the great things about seeing, like, a movie like this, based on a franchise you've had a long history with, is that after seeing it, it might inspire you to, like, want to revisit that franchise and just go back and rewatch like so much of it. I felt this way after seeing One Piece from Gold. I felt this way after seeing Yu-Gi-Oh! Dark Side of Dimensions. It's just it's a great experience to have. It's great when a movie can inspire you to see, okay, yeah, this is as good as re- I remembered it. I want to go back and like relive it all over again. And yeah, this movie is a movie I also want to watch again. I definitely think I might pick up like the Blu-ray when it comes out because I I really enjoyed it. Honestly, uh, I have no clue if it'll make my year list, but uh, I don't know if it was one of the best movies I've seen so far. But I mean, like, there's some really good anime movies coming out this year. Yeah, but in terms of Night Heaven's feel, yeah, I mean, hopefully, but in, <laughs> but in terms of enjoyment, like. Man, this was so enjoyable. I just, I really liked it, you know. Black Butler, this was, this is one of the best arcs in Black Butler, I think, and this is, and the movie did it right, and it was, it just flew by. Like, it just mm. hits the ground running. Like, within the first ten minutes, the zombies show up, and then yeah. after that, it's just nonstop awesomeness, and action, and character development, and every, it's just so, substantial but stylish at the same time it's just a really good franchise film movie i liked it a lot good adaptation i definitely would recommend it to you if you're a black Butler fan easily easily and i don't know i guess from your perspective you enjoyed it quite a bit as someone who never saw black Butler before or yeah. had little, little experience with it so hey maybe this would be like a good introduction point to, into the franchise to try it out because honestly, I think it does. I think it does like explain just enough. I mean, it has a literal backstory for Seal and Sebastian, so yeah. that helps for sure. Yeah, but even then, like, I feel Black Bolt is not like confusing enough. Where like, if you start like midway anywhere, like you'll be like completely lost. Like, yeah. Maybe it, it might be helpful that I have seen a little bit of it, so I have, like, a very basic understanding of what it's about. But even then, it was still very easy for me to follow, even though there were a lot of characters I hadn't heard of before. Yeah, I think it helps that a lot of the supporting cast was gone. Like, the only one of CL servants that accompanied him was Snake. Oh, man, we didn't even talk about Snake. This arc is also important because this is, like, the first, like, arc where Snake is a member of CL's, you know, crew, basically. Like, cause Snake was, 
kind of an antagonist in the previous two arcs. But at oh. the end of the Book of Murder arc, like, CL invited him to be a member of his, like, crew, which, you know, is kind of messed up because CL killed all of his friends. What the uh, fuck? <laughs> yeah, book, the Book of Circus is really dark. But, yeah, so, anyway, Snake is, like, a member of CL's crew at this point. And this, so this is the first, like, movie which kind of shows him, like, as a part of that. And, like, he, he has a real, lot of really good scenes. It's like, and this is my first time seeing how his, like, talking through a snake thing works in animation. And, uh, it, it, the comedic timing of it was pretty well done. Uh, yeah. a lot of people laughed a lot at those moments. <laughs> yeah. It was nice. Yeah. Uh, it's really good. What can I say? This movie yeah. was good. Uh, watch it if you haven't. When it comes out on DVD movie. Yeah, shouldn't be too long. Hopefully. Yeah. I wonder if they're gonna do the rest of Black Butler as films or if they'll make another season or something. But I have to imagine they'll make a season out of the, uh, the Royal Academy arc thing. Yeah. That, that arc has I, I think it's in. gonna be something on an arc by arc basis. Like, probably on how long the arc is. Like, this, like you said, this one was three volumes, so it kind of was just short enough to fit into a film without being too rushed. Yeah. But say, like, something like Book of Circus, which kind of required, like, a 13 episode, one course yeah. season. And then they did Book of Murder as two, two one hour OVAs. Were they one I mean, hour? Yeah, they were oh, one hour okay, each. Okay, yeah. So, you know, honestly, they could have made that into a movie. Yeah, they could have made that into a two hour But film. this was a really great choice of an arc to make into a movie because it is, like, epic and it's, like, super fun and it's, like, this. And it's, like, a great point for people to get into it, even if you haven't seen previous Black Butler material. So, yeah, I, I guess we'll just move. Later. <laughs> Welcome to Maga Mavericks at Movies, a show where we talk smack about movies. We're still going with that catchphrase, I guess. I don't know. We I mean, this time it's sort of relevant because we are going to smack. Oh yeah, we are going to talk smack about this movie because <laughs> that should be no surprise to any of you who listen to Modern Mavericks because we just saw the fairy tale Dragon Cry movie, the second fairy tale theatrical film that was released in theaters in North America by Funimation this August, and we just saw it. And oh god, why? Why did we go see it? I don't even know. I like seeing anime movies in theaters, and I thought, hey, they're putting this out in theaters, there must be some justification, there must be some merit to putting this fairytale film out in theaters, but no, there wasn't, it was a total waste of time! Yeah, so like, on Saturday, I was like, hey, I have to binge through all this remaining parts of Death Note for the Manga Mavericks Death Note retrospective, but then since it, oh yeah, the fairytale movies today, let's go to that, that's gonna be fun! Yeah, I thought it would be entertaining, if not in a good way. You know, I was never expecting it to be good, but I thought at least it would be entertainingly bad. It, it, it didn't even it have so... the respect to be entertainingly bad. No, it was just a total waste of time. The most nothing movie you could ever watch. 
This movie, it, it, Fairy Tale is not a Shonen Jump property, but this movie totally encapsulates the jump film stigma, but the whole idea of a totally pointless bull boilerplate plant premise and movie, an excuse to just have a bunch of fights and a random, oh, we gotta save this kingdom, oh, this, this princess who has a mystical MacGuffin that the villain wants, her but her, did you see the first Naruto movie? Guess what? This movie <laughs> is exactly the same! It's funny, and talking about that jump film stigma, it's kind of funny that people say that, because the last few Shonen Jump films have been good. Yeah! You know, there's this trend in popular manga and movie adaptations to get the author involved, and that has led to some really cool films. Boruto, One Piece Strong World all the way through One Piece Film Gold. Lots of cool movie that had the author's input, and this movie had the author's input too. Hiro Mashima oh had input in this film, on the story, on the lore, and this movie was supposed to tie in to the final arc of fairy well, tale. That's it. It totally ties in. Did you see the end credit scene? <laughs> Did you see your boy? <laughs> Oh my god, yeah. So all of you people thinking that this film was going to be essential. This film was going to expand on the lore of the series in an interesting way. In the same way Strong World and Film Z did for Wumpies. <laughs> you fools, you saps. Mashima trolled you. He tricked you yet again. The only tenuous connection is that Acnologia appears in the end credits of the film, and he reminisces about the time he killed a bunch of dragons, and he saw a little girl in the dragon's game, and he's like, oh, I couldn't save you, little girl. Too bad. And he walks away. He doesn't even bury the body, he just, like, fucking walks away. Yeah, he just walked away. <laughs> and you know the funny thing, we Lord? You know the funny thing? That scene where, like, he's looking, looking at the little girl with a red ribbon that becomes the dragon cry staff next to her? Mm -hmm. You know that? image, that's in the manga. That appears in, like, one of the last chapters of the manga when Agnologia is, like, flashing back into why he wants to kill the dragons and destroy the world and stuff. Like, Mashima put that scene in there, a la incorporating Bardock into Dragon Ball, as if to canonize that backstory. But why? Why? Why would you watch this movie just to expound on that? You don't need to, because this story can't even happen in the world of the series because it takes place after the final time skip before the final arc but there is no room for the fairy tale guild to go on this adventure before the final arc at all so this movie is completely filler and all the backstory in this movie is completely extraneous and pointless yeah um okay. oh and you were supposed to get hyped up because Natsu is going to use a half dragon form in this movie and but that was supposed to be super cool, and he does do that, yeah. but that has nothing to do with the final arc of the series. Natsu doesn't win by using a half-dragon form to take out Acnologia. That has, he ever used that half-dragon form? Maybe once, but it's, like, so minor a thing. It, it kind of just reminds me of, like, Asta's kind of half-demonic form, sort of. It's like a pointless, like, transformation that they just wanted to hype up to, like, draw viewers in. It's like with Lord Slug, the Dragon Ball Z film, they invented a fake Super Saiyan oh, yeah. form to trick people into watching it. So, so that, that form isn't in the fucking, uh, manga. 
No, Natsu's have dragon form. I don't remember if it is. That's how forgettable it is. It's definitely yeah. not used so in the final So they essentially just ripped off Meliodas and Asta's forms from Seven Deadly Sins of Black Clover. Essentially, they ripped off the, like, demonic form of Ichigo takes and Bleach. Any, like, half, like, monstrous transformation this dragon, half-dragon form Natsu takes is a rip-off of. You know? Yeah. It's nothing special. It's a whatever uh, thing. What, what it sounds like, oh, okay. And in the movie, like, the dragon main villain Animus, he's, like, commenting, Oh, I see. You're not demon. You're not dragon. You are something in between. You are E-N. You know, they don't even say E-N-D. They don't even, like, come right out and say, Yeah, he's end. Even though the movie expects you to already know that because it expects you to have read the manga or whatever. Like, why? Why keep that hidden? Why? Everyone already knows it. What is this? <laughs> why are you trying to do movie? Why are you playing coy with us now? Go all in! So you, you seem very heated about this movie. This movie was so dumb. I don't understand the point of it as a tie-in to the final arc of the story because it has but, but say, barely say, anything to say do the with it. The point is to make monies. Even if you wanted to make money, you could have at least came up with a more original but, story, but say, a more say, exciting say, story. That requires effort. They don't want to put in effort. Oh, you can clearly see they don't want to put in effort because <laughs> this movie looks terrible. This animation is pathetic. Static. This is not theatrical quality. It looks like a very long episode of the TV anime. Oh, <laughs> if even that. I think there were episodes of the TV show that looked better than well, this. Well, and Fairy Tale 2, for my sake, but Fairy Tale, it kind of reminds me of, like, Fairy Tale 1 animation. Yeah, it's really sad to have a theatrical film that looks worse than the TV show. That doesn't even have good animation. Like, there's so much stiff animation, so much nonsensical action choreography. It's not exciting. You're not invested in these fights. The movement is distractingly cheap. Like, the opening scene of the movie. The scene that's supposed to get your audience hooked right in, right? Think back to One Piece Film Gold. How amazing that opening of that movie is in showing off the Straw Hats and that awesomely, fluidly animated battle against that pirate crew. That was cool. That was awesome. That got you hooked into that movie. Does Natsu fighting the freaking bird get you hooked with its cheap, janky ass? animation. Like, fucking SAO Ordinal Scale had a better opening. Yeah, let's talk about this. This is like the third A1 Pictures film we saw this year. After SAO Ordinal Scale and Black Butler. And you know what? This movie was worse than SAO Ordinal Scale. Because at least SAO Ordinal Scale had effort put into the visuals. It at least looked pretty. It at least had movement. The animation might necess not necessarily have been technically good, but at least there was animation. At least it was animated at all. This movie is barely animated. How is a film from anyone pictures worse than a film from Toei Animation? You look at that One Piece film, Golden, that was a spectacle of animation! Yeah, I think the thing with Toei, though, is that they always put a lot of effort into the films. That's just their thing. Nowadays, true. Yeah. But this movie, my god, it was supposed to be a tie-in for the final arc of the series. This was supposed to be, like, the final theatrical film Fairy Tale might ever receive. And they didn't care at all in making it memorable or good. They put no effort into the story, the visuals, the animation, nothing. They should have just made this a TV special. They might as well. Because... 
There is nothing about the story that demands watching it on the big screen. It is a basic story as you come. There's this bad guy, right? His name is Ash. No, he's not as cool as Vash. But... <laughs> He is like a bad dude. He has this mustache. He's literally a mustache twirling villain. And he can control people. He has power of mind control, right? That's his power. Great. He's like a traitor to the kingdom. And he's after the dragon cry because dragon cry will give him power to destroy the world or just get his revenge or whatever. It's a completely shallow, basic evil motivation, right? Oh, but of course, all of Mashima's villains, as is his Per his fetish, Zash imprisons women in a rape and torture dungeon. And is he... that is that like a Mashua thing? It's something that he's definitely done before. Mashua, we no, have this no. excruciatingly painful and uncomfortable scene where Zash mind controls Lucy and makes her tie herself up in chains and like slowly twirls up her panties with his knife, licking his lips. It's creepy. It's disgusting! And my god, there are kids in this audience! Parents took their kids to watch there this movie! There was a fucking baby in the audience! There was a baby in the <laughs> Let's talk about the theater experience. This theater was full. Obviously, yeah. Fairy Tale was quite popular. And somehow, there were a lot of kids there. A lot of families with children there. Small children. A woman brought a baby to the theater, and it was crying the whole way through, as if the baby knew, even a young baby knew, that this film was a crime against common sense and decency, as if it was traumatized by all the awkward, uncomfortable fan service, all the close-ups on women's crotches and their breasts oh, and their God. butts, oh, this film, how perverted the framing of scenes are. It takes every excuse to focus a, a angle of a camera shot on a woman's butt or crotch but or I need to look at Just me. like the manga itself. Just like the TV anime. But my god, it's uncomfortable. But Sid, we need to look at Lucy and Ayers' boobs every single time. Oh no. And of course the movie needs to find an excuse to get them into sexy outfits like a uh, Arabian dancer getup for Lucy or or Erza dressing in a bunny suit. Great. Yeah. Oh, and <laughs> fucking Erza dancing in that bunny suit. Oh, I love the camera slowly panning around her body so less viciously salivating over how sexy she looked in that body and focusing on her crotch. But like, every scene in the movie does that. But, oh, 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 God. There was this guy who was sitting in front of us who, whenever there was like a over-the-top, uncomfortable fans ever seen he was slapping his head I think clearly he was dragged to his movie by his more uncultured friend <laughs> and I felt that guy's pain <laughs> uh, he was a kindred spirit because I was very much doing the same oh how painful fairy tale is uh, what the fuck is wrong with this movie yeah fuck this geez. movie but the whole fan service thing the whole framing of shots to focus on like butts and boobs and crotches and all that you know that you expect that this is freaking fairy tale right you 
expect like a better movie out of it at the very least but no we gotta have our villain with his rape dungeon fetish rape dungeon mind control powers oh i can't imagine all the hentai doujin that's gonna come out of this movie i imagine there's gonna be a ton of them i mean there's already probably plenty of mind break mind rape doujins about fairy tale and clearly we need more of those clearly we need more of those it's freaking disturbing too because all the women in that dungeon like there's this one chick who we see get defeated early in the movie and then we see her in the dungeon and she tells Lucy this is hell and you know all the women are beaten up and they're scared and they're cowering in front of her it's so freaking uncomfortable you don't need to have the villain have a rape dungeon to make me hate him okay just have him be a good damn villain and make him intimidating other ways because you know what outside of being creepy the villain wasn't intimidating at all. He wasn't scary. I didn't take him seriously. His face looked freaking stupid. His motivations were basic. He wasn't a compelling villain at all. You're gonna make me compare him to the likes of Gran Tesoro, a multi-layered villain who had a lot going on. Really? Really? Come on. Don't kid around with me, fairy tale dragon cry. <laughs> We're not here to shame people for liking fairy tale necessarily. But you know, I, shaming I don't people be... for liking what they love is the best thing. No, I don't like being that kind of guy. I'm just saying, fairy tale makes me really mad. It makes me irritated because it just does these asinine things. The fan service, the writing. Oh, the writing is so on the nose. <laughs> Literally, the climax of the movie is not suited defeating a guy by punching him really hard while talking about friendship is the best I love my friends and then to top it all off in case we didn't get the message the woman of the movie the token princess character you know gives a whole big speech about how amazing the friendship between Natsu and Lucy and all the fairytale guild is and how they're like family and all that uh, great great yeah. you're hammering in the point that we already could get Free wow fairytale is truly the paragon of subtlety <laughs> Anime film of the year right there. Oh, let's talk about the other villain and how stupid the twist is. You mean the so, fucking dragon? Yeah, the dragon Animus, who is like, okay, so originally we set up to believe like he's this other character, right? He's this like king of this kingdom, and he has this relationship with the princess, Sonia. And they're like, and we're led to believe for most of the movie that they're two separate characters but then dramatic twist apparently they were the same character animus was a split personality of sonia i mean he was the soul of a dragon in her body but he did not take a different physical form it was just in her body and like she was talking to him within her body like she somehow believed there was another person there. And it makes no sense given how things are framed earlier parts of the movie when we see the two of those characters together when we see Zash talking with the human form of Animus. It, it makes no sense at all. It just comes out of nowhere. It's not shocking. It's not a cool twist. It's just whatever. Okay. How does that work? Great. I guess she's mind broken now because she 
realize, oh no, there wasn't another person beside me all along. He was inside of me. Insert the hentai here. I don't understand the relationship between Sonya and Animus, because in the movie, all we see Animus do is manipulate and use her, but like at the end of the movie, we're supposed to take away that they had some sort of bond and Animus Animus seems to be a good guy. But the Animus freaking, like, was just trying to save his own life by going into Sonya's body and hiding out there. He never had noble attentions. We never saw him actually care about Sonya earlier in the movie. It just comes out of nowhere that there's supposed to be this deeper emotional connection between Sonya and Animus, and it just does not work because we don't have any context. And I don't even understand why you leave the flashback showing Animus merge with Sonya for the end of the movie. Like, why keep that for the end of the movie when we already know that happened? Like, put that into the movie! think this through. They did not think this through. But you know what? This whole last minute trying to give the villain sympathy thing, that's what Fairy Tale does all the time. And it never works. Mashima just cannot Let's write have them realize that they have friends. He cannot write multi-layered villains at all. And this movie is no exception. It's probably a good thing you didn't do a retrospective for the fairy tale manga because you would just get so pissed during that. I think that's why I should do it at some point. Because that will make for a fun podcast nonetheless. Yeah, but you need to find someone to do that with because I'm not fucking reading fairy tale. Well, I'm sure I can find some fans of fairy tale. I'll have to find someone else too, but that's probably a ways off. It's a ways off on the docket, but going back to this film, was there anything memorable about the animation or story? No. no. Was the humor funny at all? Uh, I know yeah. everyone in the audience laughed when a happy two did. Excuse me, I just farted. Her <laughs> her fart jokes are funny. <laughs> I found I found like a few of the Juvia jokes. Okay, okay but... the Juvia jokes were good. Like, uh, the one thing the ju- I know about Fairy Tale is that Juvia's cool everything else. Juvia's funny. I, yeah. Her relationship with Grey is endearing. And, like, the two best scenes in the movie are, like, at the beginning when Juvia is, like, fantasizing about Grey getting it on with the other women in uh, Natsu's party. And she gets jealous. So then she tries imagining making Grey jealous by, like, flirting with the members of her team, including, like, <laughs> including uh, Panther Lily, who's a cat. <laughs> And Levy, who's, you know, another girl, it's like, <laughs> Juvia, you're so silly. And then the best scene of the movie is when, like, Juvia sees, like, the two dolls, this one random, like, henchman baddie is, like, attacking Grey with. Okay, so this guy's power is, like, he attacks people with dolls, right? And they're two, like, feminine dolls. And so, like, the dolls are, like, attacking Grey, and she, like, sees them, and she, like, imagines them as actual women that are, like, going towards Grey and then, like, a romantically suggestive matter. And then she gets a whole yandere, and then unleashes a huge water attack that takes them out. And that was fun. That was awesome. You go, Juvia. I was satisfied with that. Yeah. That was the one scene that I really liked. Can I just go through a read-through of Fairy Tale where it's only stuff about Juvia? Juvia. Yeah, we should make fairy tale minus everyone but Juvia. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess you also have to have gray. gray there, because, like, yeah, yeah that are just work, but yeah. Once again, Juvia is the only saving grace of, uh, of something in fairy tale. 
But what about future Lucy? <laughs> the most complex character. Thankfully, character. we do not have future Lucy in this movie. Or, But, I mean, there's plenty of stupid stuff along that lines anyway. Oh, I just remembered something that goes back to, like, how pathetic the visuals in this movie are. You know the big scene that's supposed to be romantic when Nasu invites Lucy on the top of the tree to look mm-hmm. at the stars? Did those stars look impressive at all? Did that night sky seem magical? No. You saw your name, right? Do you remember how majestic the starry night sky in your name looked. Yeah. And I know it might be unfair to compare a fairy tale movie to the likes of your name, <laughs> but even like you could point to probably some other franchise film and look at the a similar scene in that and you could see that being done just so much better. But in this movie the colors are so flat and so like unimpressive and the whole visual aesthetic design is just not appealing. So that whole sequence, anytime the movie is trying to make something seem beautiful or look cool, it just falls flat. It's just unimpressive. Oh, and the pacing and the flow between scenes in this movie is completely jarring. He talked about that opening scene of how, like, that fight between Natsu and that bird is completely incomprehensible. Mm-hmm. Well, also incomprehensible is, like, when later in the movie, after, like, the whole background up to that point, up to that scene in the beginning of the movie, and they flash forward back to, like, what's happening now, like, Natsu, like, runs back to his friends or whatever, and then... Next scene, they're all met up again, I guess. Like, how did they escape the bir- their bird cages? How, uh, yeah. did we don't see that at all. They just met up again. And they are... met with the power of friendship. I don't know what you're talking about. And then suddenly, they're all in Zash's dungeon fighting. How they did got, they get they there? there pretty fast. They got, not only get there pretty fast, like, how did they get there? Like, they just show up. Characters just will show up in random scenes, and then they'll disappear, and then they'll show up again in different places, and it makes no sense. There's no flow. There's no consistency in how scenes are based in this movie. It's just so frustrating. This film is just so incompetently produced and incompetently stitched together. Yeah. Oh, and I don't even know. Like, Juvia does stuff in this movie. She actually, like, helps Grey win the fight. But, like, why were Gajiel, Levy, and Panther Lily even there? Yeah, why what were was, they We there? don't even ever figure out their mission. What was their mission? We don't ever find that out. They're just there, but they don't contribute to the climax of the movie. And another thing, if this movie was about Natsu going up against a dragon, why not have the other dragon slayers in the movie and assist in the climax of the fight and actually make a statement about friendship by having everyone working together to defeat the enemy instead of just Natsu alone is defeating the enemy? But it's somehow because of the power of friendship. This is implying that fairy tale is capable of good writing. Yeah, but what the missed opportunity? If you're making a movie about freaking dragons, why not have all the dragon slayers in it? Why not get Sting and Rogue involved in the action? I don't understand at all how they could miss, like, such an obvious thing to do. Oh, and another uncomfortable scene that I have to mention is, like, when Lucy is crying over Natsu, like, getting impaled and stuff. Oh, and the fucking tear the... goes into his, like, fucking mouth. Yeah, everyone in the audience, when that happened, like, groaned and were like, you, what? God, these fetishes that fairy tale, it's staff and Machima himself have. Maybe it's it's an A1 Pictures fetish, because that also happens in SAO. That's true, that's true. But it's also so cliche that tears bring people back to life. Maybe Lucy has magic tears. I guess she is somehow related to Pokemon. 
and has magic goatiers of Pokemon. Or, like, Yukina from Yu Yu Hakusho, though I guess those turn into, like, expensive gems. Yeah, that's completely different. Yeah. She can't bring people back to life with those uh, tears, unfortunately for her. She could get a doctor to bring someone back to life that's with those tears. That's true. That is true. But yeah, that scene was so icky. You and her. In general, this movie's just bad. Don't watch so, it. The whole emotional climax of the movie is like Natsu is conflicted between like whether he's even human anymore because he's demon and dragon. And this does tie into something from the final arc because in the final arc, Natsu goes into this comatose lucid state where he's like trying to explore whether he is demon and dragon. And he gets a vision from like his adoptive father, Igneal, who tells him, you need to choose which you'll be, dragon or demon. And Natsu says, neither, I'm human. And of course that was the right answer. Of course. Like that, that it solves the problem. Natsu doesn't have to become become something, make a sacrifice. No, get out of jail free card. Remember, great, great. remember how they deal with balancing humanity and monster sides and parasite and Tokyo Ghoul. Well, fuck that. We're just gonna ignore it. It right. magically goes away. Yeah. So that is like the one thematic connection between this movie and the final arc. But the, this movie botches this so horribly because. This isn't like a big arc for Natsu it's throughout the movie. It just shows up in the climax when Natsu goes into his half-demon, half-dragon state. And that's it. Like, he asks Lucy, when you look at me, who do you see? And Lucy says, the same Natsu I always know. And that's supposed to be, like, this big emotional, like, payoff to, like, a joke earlier in the movie when Natsu was staring at Lucy and, like, he asked Lucy, like, the same thing. And so, like, that could have worked in a better film. That could have been, like, a cool turnaround on a joke from earlier in a movie in another film. But in this film, it makes no sense at all because we don't get that inner emotional turmoil from Natsu from the entire film. Just in, like, that final battle, in, like, the last ten minutes of the movie, and only after freaking Animus, like, says, Oh, you're not human, you're not dragon, you're not demon, you are E.N. That's it. That's when, like, not for self doubts emerge, and that's, that's the only time. And it's like, okay, great. How, why should I care? He doesn't care, because Natsu's response to Animus making that statement is saying, Who cares what I am? I'm going to defeat you! So, like, in that moment, he doesn't even care. He's not taken aback. It's not affecting him. But then somehow like after the end of the battle, he's like breathing heavily and he looks at Lucy seriously and it's like, who do you see when you look in my face? And, and whatever. It's like, I just don't got an, you have an idea here. You have an idea <laughs> that could have made something interesting here in this film. But you just don't go all the way with it. Because you just don't want to have an actually deeply immersive emotional arc for your characters. You just want to do the laziest story possible with the barest amount of effort put into your animation and your visual presentation and your story. And that's it. You just want to turn out a cheap cash-in for a series on its way out just to entice foolish fans to pay their money to watch it. Those and innocent souls. The sad part is, those fans bought it. Those fans, dare I imagine, to my boggled mind, got hyped. At the end of the movie, that post credit scene, in the theater, all the people who remained, they were like, Oh, at 
you know she has in here. And then when they saw the backstory and the girl dying, the girl was like, oh no. And then when they saw at the very end, they saw Zareph on the cliff looking down at Acnologia and they were like, oh shit. And they were like, things are going to get real. And then once they cut the black, everyone, there was a guy in the audience who was like, oh, that was awesome. And I'm like, what? From that nothing. Keys. What? How is that exciting? That doesn't even make sense. Why is the ref there? Why are Brandish and Inville there? Why are they just randomly observing Acnologia? Uh, that, yeah, is that enough to appease you? Is that amount of fan service enough to make you satisfied and get hyped and get excited for the final season of the anime? I don't know. Apparently. I guess. I guess. I guess fairytale fans are usually great. I guess. It's no surprise that they'd have low standards. <laughs> God, I'm such an asshole. Please, on the podcast. you said all fairy tale hate threats to uh, fucking us. And, I don't know. No, uh, just send them to the Colton. Oh yeah, we just said the Colton. Yeah, yeah. Remember the memes one. You gotta yeah. remember to keep your memes consistent. Okay, send all hate mail to Colton. Yeah. yeah. Don't watch Fairy Tale Dragon Cry unless you're a fan of Fairy Tale. If you're a fan of Fairy it's Tale, not... consider your. If you're a fan of Fairy Tale, reflect on your life choices. <laughs> And then go and decide if you want to watch the film. Yeah, uh, you'll get nothing out of this movie unless you're a fan of the series because mm. the story is just so bare bones and there's just no emotional arc for the characters that's worth invest- investing in. There's no like good moments of Sakuga. The movie doesn't look very good. In fact, it's very confusing thanks to the poor cohesion between scenes. Like, I, I kind of got like lost at times simply because like, yeah. it would just randomly cut scenes. Yeah, it gets so boring in the middle too when it's just doing the basic, oh, we're going to like stop the bad guy and everyone's pairing off against the minions or whatever. Like, uh, the Juvia and Grey fight with the doll guy is okay only because the climax is funny but Erza's fight with the stupid leg wizard that was very typical Erza fight bullshit where Erza just pulls off a win out of her ass because of course she's Erza what was that spell that she was doing I don't know it's just some random thing it's not a spell from the manga It probably is, but I completely forgot it. And the stupid woman she was fighting against with her freaking leg magic power. Those extra thick memes. Yeah. Okay, whatever. Extra thick. She can kick really hard. She's she's impressive. She's a great opponent. It wouldn't pictures the Mashima just saw all the extra thick memes and like, we need an extra thick meme character. I mean, Wendy and Carla's fight against that surfboard guy was sort of nice because, I mean, Wendy wasn't exploited for, uh, any lolly fan service for once, which was surprising. That was a surprise that she didn't get exploited that way. There's lolly fan service <laughs> in fairy tale. Of course there is. That's the whole point of Wendy is to supply uh, lolly fan service. Uh, why do you do this fairy tale? Why? This movie also assumes you have some knowledge of the final arc because it has final arc things all over it. Like that Ray's. explains why I was completely lost. Well, you also have only read like the first ten chapters of fairy tale. Yeah. And that was enough for me to realize that it wasn't worth it. But yeah, so if you're confused of why Grey has like a half-demon slayer power now, and why Carla can become a human 
and fight now. Yeah, you gotta read at least like the first 10, 20 chapters of the final arc to get the lowdown on that. If you want to watch the movie, you should probably get that far, I guess. I don't know. Actually, the continuity is not that important. This movie has had nothing to do with the series outside of this one tenuous connection and one like aspect of Acnologia's backstory that Mashima decided to canonize. Outside of that, it's pretty frivolous stuff. Uh, yeah, so don't watch the movie unless you like Fairy Tale. Again, that's the takeaway. Yeah. Easily the worst anime film we saw this year. But <laughs> what's done is done. We saw it. That was 90 minutes of our lives wasted and we'll never get back. But we I've been, I've been traumatized by how shitty it was. No, you know, I wish the movie was worse <laughs> than it was. Because it was just typical fairy tale bad. It was like an average shonen movie that, of course, because it's fairy tale, it has all the worst things about fairy tale in it. But, like, otherwise, it's like this nothing forgettable yeah. movie. Like, SEO was, like, bad. The SEO film was bad. But it was at least engaging bad. At least there was something to get invested in, yeah. even if for the wrong reasons. Yeah, it still looked pretty. This film is just fucking boring, though. Nothing important happens. It's just a bunch of fluff. At least SAO had some good action scenes. This just has, like, fucking Natsu getting fired up. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, this was a complete waste of time. But at least we got, like, a podcast out of it, I guess. I guess. We have a and bunch least, of those to edit already. Yeah, and at least it finally got me to be like, okay, I gotta get this fairy tale bullshit out of my system. Let's read the final 50 chapters of the manga already. So I did that. Uh, after I got back from the movie. Why did you waste your time reading that? So I could finally finish Fairy Tale and not have to think about it ever again. How long did it take you to do that? Three hours. Wasted three hours more of your life that day? I was simultasking. I was also watching TV. Okay, good. Yeah. You can't give Fairy Tale. Obviously, I wouldn't bother giving Fairy Tale all of my attention. It doesn't deserve it. Yeah, I mean, oh, let's kill off Makarov. This is a big, heroic sacrifice. It's so emotional. Who oh, the fuck's Makarov? He's the guildmaster. He's like the old mentor. Except he's like the worst old mentor in manga. You know how, like, big an event, like, the deaths of Genkai or Master Roshi were in, like, Dragon Yu yeah. Hakusho? Uh, <laughs> Makarov dies in the final arc in this, like, pointless final sacrifice because Mavis is telling him, hey, I have this plan where we can all get out alive. Makarov is like, no, I have to do this because my children are getting hurt. And Mavis is like, but I have this plan that everyone will survive if I do it. And Makarov's like, no, shut up. You don't understand. And he sacrifices himself. He doesn't even defeat all the enemies, but he dies. And it's supposed to be this big emotional heroic sacrifice, even though it was completely pointless. And then he gets brought back to life. Doesn't Fairy Tale have a lot of pointless? For no reason, he gets brought back to life. Doesn't Fairy Tale have a lot of pointless sacrifices? It does. Like, no one dies in Fairy Tale. Uh, it's worse than One Piece in that way. Yeah, but One Piece doesn't have bullshit sacrifices. One Piece is at least not gonna... Okay, well, what was the last bullshit sacrifice we had? Hell? I mean, the Frankie family, too. Yeah, I guess. Wait, did any of them, like, fucking shot, though, or...? Well, like, 
the ship of the Frankie family was like shot down or like or something during Annie's lobby and there's like this big moment where like you know it was Frankie was very solemn he was like encouraging Luffy hey you gotta do this you gotta finish the job for them and all that or something like that but like then of course the Frankie family turns out to be okay yeah didn't they just retreat onto like the bullet train or whatever? yeah I yeah, think that's so what that happened that makes sense like the only one that doesn't make sense is fucking hell surviving yeah cause it's a fucking Fucking bomb that was supposed to destroy the entirety of Alabasta. Yeah. But Pell somehow could survive it. And in fairy tale, like Makarov coming back, it doesn't make any sense. Like, they don't explain why he comes back. It just happens. Like, I guess Mavis and Zaref dying. The somehow. power of friendship revived everyone. I guess so. I guess so. Natsu's friendship was so strong that it just brought everyone back to life. Literally the only thing that worked in the final arc, I think, was the final scene between Mavis and Zareth as they're dying. Hmm. I could sort of get into that. Well, Sid, so I have a question for you. Yeah. In the final battle of Fairy Tale, does Natsu make the main villain remember that he has friends? No, because Agnologia literally does not have friends. But he does get, like, a sympathetic, tragic ending that he wishes he could have had friends. Of course. <laughs> I'm fucking done. I'm fucking done. Screw this. I was like, oh, they, they didn't do it. Oh, no, they still mentioned fucking friends. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, eventually, I'll do a fairy tale podcast on Manga Mavericks proper. But I hope our thoughts on this movie give you a little taste of that until then. Hopefully next time we'll see a better anime movie. We don't see enough bad movies on this podcast. We really anyway. not. It helps a lot of anime movies that do get screened or good. Like, I mean, again, I can't even say this was the worst movie we saw this year because we saw Ghost in the Shell. Oh, fuck yeah. That's, that's still the worst. Fuck Ghost in the Shell. Anyone who likes that movie is wrong. Go rewatch Ghost in the Shell standalone complex second game and tell me if they butchered Hideo Kuze. You tell me to my face <laughs> if they butchered Hideo Kuze or not. Or just watch original film and see how they're completely missing the point. Well, that too, but they also butchered Hideo Kuze. That's and no one mentions it enough. <laughs> yeah. Wave Motion Cannon mentioned it, but they're cool. But yeah, yeah, no one else really mentioned it, though. Yeah, at this point, we're just rambling on about tangents, so I think we're going to close it off here and move on to the next film. That does it for this episode of Mung Americs at Movies, talking about Black Butler, Book of the Atlantic, and Fairy Tale Dragon Cry. Hope you enjoyed our reviews, and if you want to catch more episodes of Manga Mavericks and Manga Mavericks at Movies, you can check them out on all-comic.com. You can follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks and on tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com you can subscribe to us on apple podcasts you can find us on youtube our youtube channel youtube slash c slash manga mavericks you can leave us a rating a review a like whatever is appropriate for those platforms because all of those things really helps to show out you can find your hosts on twitter 
Me, you can find at Lomramiyasha. You can find the Lord at VLordGTZ. And you can also find us by those usernames on various sites, including Animation Revelation and AnyList. If you want to talk to us some more, hit us up on Twitter or join the Manga Mavericks Discord. If you have any feedback, any suggestions or comics you want to send us, send those our way at mangamavericks at gmail.com. And that about does it for this episode of Manga Mavericks Ad Movies, and we'll see you in the next one. And cut!